Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style and powerography would like to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners quartz and canary jewelry and wellness company use code empower 15 to receive 15 percent off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com quartz and canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style hello there brad walsh here your host of the empowerography podcast today my guest is emily tuck she is a relationship and intimacy coach a podcast host and an international number one best-selling author welcome emily thank you so much for taking the time to be here today i'm absolutely honored and so excited to jump in and, and start grilling you with the all of these amazing questions to learn a little bit more about who you are and what you do thank you for having me it's a real privilege to be here it's an absolute honor the honor is all mine so thank you for making and taking the time to be here today, Emily. I appreciate you. And I you. <laughs> so as mentioned, you are a relationship and intimacy coach. You're a podcast host. You are trained in multiple modalities. Mm. How on earth do you find the time for all of these things? And how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization to you? Not very. I'm rubbish at prioritizing for the most part, if I'm honest. <laughs> Really? Well, yes, let's have the honesty. Absolutely. Honestly, my the room I'm currently sitting in, which is doubling as my office, looks like a bomb hit it. <laughs> so honestly, I don't prioritize. What happens is I meditate and okay. I'm guided what is the priority. And okay. the way that it tends to work, and this wasn't what I was going to say when you asked the question even 30 seconds ago, what my business partner and I do is once every six weeks, we sit down because according to the solstices and the Gaia the wheel of the year we sit down every uh -huh. solstice and every sabbat and we look at what we want to do in the next six weeks and we have an asana board and every idea that randomly crosses our brains or shows up in meditation or whatever it goes on the board and we okay. wait and every six weeks we're like right what feels like the priority for the next six weeks and then we okay. review what we've done in the last six now this particular six weeks the last six weeks we've just had the list we made of all the things we wanted to achieve i can honestly tell you we have achieved none of them. <laughs> However, I love the I love the transparency and honesty, Emily. <laughs> we will we'll look at that list and go. I've not done any of those things. But what I can tell you is, very soon after our meeting, something occurred in my personal life that meant we suddenly had to switch priorities, and we've actually okay. achieved a whole bunch of things that weren't even on the list in the first place. Right. And so this is how we prioritize. It's like, what's going on in that season of the year? What's, you yeah. know, if it's winter, then you're doing more introverted and introspective and reflective stuff. Yeah. If you're in the spring and you're in the summer, then you're doing more go, go, go. And so you yeah. go with those natural rhythms. And then every six weeks, definitely every 12, because each of the sabbats, which is one every 12 weeks, that's right. a hard stop. So there are things that must get over the line by the end of the 12 week period. And then yeah. we take the weekend off. We found this by accident last May where we couldn't keep going. We had to sleep. Weekend off. I'll speak to you in three days. But what it allowed us to do was regroup, get some new energy for the new quarter, which feels entirely different to the previous one. And then we regroup and we go, what's the priorities now? 
And that's how we do it. So we let spirit prioritize, really. We let the energy of the season prioritize. Excellent. That's beautiful. So what inspired your journey into the world of coaching and all your training and the multiple modalities you're trained in? Did this journey begin with some of your own personal struggles? It began with me going to a kinesiologist because I was having panic attacks and palpitations when I I went to university and I was there for about six months and I was having panic attacks and palpitations and could tell you what was wrong, but couldn't get out of the bed couldn't get out of the house, couldn't leave. So, you know, things like counselling or whatever was not an option because I could bore you to death with the problem. I wasn't solving it. I needed something else. And eventually, by trial and error more than anything else, I got advised to go and see a kinesiologist. And I had no idea what they were. Didn't have a clue. But what ended up happening was I felt better. So I didn't care what she did. It's like, you're making me feel better. My palpitations have gone away. My panic attacks are less. And at the time, I thought it was a little bit like being psychic where you just, you were gifted. I didn't know you could train in it. So I kept going to her as a client and then realized you could train. This was something you could learn. Oh, where do I learn? Where do I find out? And after that, it just rolled and rolled from there because what else can I see? What else can I learn? What other modalities? So you end up with multiple modalities because you're still interested. But what they had in common was what makes people do what they do? What makes people tick? And the more I could use the different tools to transform what somebody wanted to do with their life, the more interested I was. Mm -hmm. So if it was doing a little bit, that's great. As I viewed it, as I learned it, if this is a more powerful tool or this is something that does it better or this is something that creates real transformation, that's why I chose the next one or the next one. Right. Kinesiology is great. You can get that bespoke understanding of the body. But EFT does it faster. Hypnotherapy does it even faster. So you ended up, that's how I chose what I chose. So how have these experiences then helped shape the the Emily you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? Hmm. How have these experiences shaped it? Well, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is that your past doesn't have to equal your future. So whatever you think, whoever you are, isn't who you need to maintain and keep being. And these different tools are ways to unlock that and make that change. Okay. So yeah, it's this idea now- of watching those choices that you make and for me my personal growth is my biggest value so being able to keep what how do I keep growing how do I keep evolving becomes how that becomes about really and so both that's my own personal journey so that growth and evolution and then professionally it becomes for the client who's working with me or the people who work with me is how can I offer that to them how can I give that opportunity to them so they can also keep growing and evolving into the person they'd be if they didn't have all of their backstory. Now, you have said that you practice some holistic therapies in order to help heal yourself. So the kinesiology, as you mentioned, and then that led into EFT and hypnotherapy. And I've heard many people say that we as humans have all the tools we need within us to help in healing ourselves. This is possible. Is this something you subscribe to and believe in? And of course, I'm assuming you do because you did it. If so... What would you say to people who who say or call bullshit on that, that we don't have all the tools within us? I'd say we do. I would say Mm -hmm. what's happened for some people is we've lost the translation book. So our bodies tell us all the time. Our bodies and our minds, they tell us all the time. But we don't know what we're looking for. Some people have lost the translation book along the way. For example, I give you an example of something that happened to me in the last 18 months, I was dealing with something that was really deep DNA work, right? So this is going really deep into the ancestral stuff. But what it did was when you go digging deep into what the body needs, 
other compensations need to be made around it. And what happened was, this sounds like a really small thing, but my hair stopped growing, right? Because my energy was being used over in this ancestral work and my hair stopped growing for about two months it's growing again now so that's fine but it was like that was fine i was like that's a really odd thing but that must mean something so i just yeah. put it in the corner and an answer will materialize and one day i was studying some notes preparing for a client and i was looking at symptoms that show you that your lung meridian is overactive and one of the symptoms was a loss of hair growth. Wow. Oh, that's what that was about. <laughs> so I didn't need to know the answer for my body to be telling me anyway. And for people who call yeah. bullshit on it, I think they've lost the translation or they're frightened. Yeah. Often what you find is they're frightened of what they might find underneath. Right. How connected they are or are not to themselves. And the other thing often comes is they may not know it, but at a deep subconscious level, they know that if they take this knowledge on, their life will change. Their life will never be the same again. Now, I happen to think... And people, as we and as we know, people are very f afraid and scared of change. So if I take this knowledge on and accept it as fact or accept it as a, even as a yeah. possibility, even as a way of seeing the world, suddenly I can't maintain my old viewpoint of the world. I had a client yeah. who worked with me years ago and what came out of the treatment was that she needed to prioritise creativity and make some time for some art classes, essentially. Right. Well, that meant going home and telling her husband that that was her plan. I think you can guess how this story ended. I never saw her again. Yes. But yeah. I got an email that said, thank you. I'm going to use yoga to help with my confidence. Because wow. she didn't want the conversation with her husband. Might yeah. result, who knows what his reaction would be. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. she can either have the conversation with him or ignore me. Yeah. And it's easier to just ignore you yeah. than have the conversation with her husband for sure. You wouldn't know it from this interview, but yeah. <laughs> it's easier to ignore <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so was that healing process and practice of different holistic modalities you used to heal yourself kind of like the catalyst for wanting to educate yourself further on these modalities in order to help your clients? Yes, I think it was originally because mm -hmm. I loved what it could do for me. And I loved the idea of being able to help other people with it. What interests me ultimately is watching people become who they're born to be. Yeah. And what I'm finding more and more, funnily enough, in the work I do more recently is not only who they're born to be, but who once upon a lifetime they always were. It's a really yeah. interesting way of looking at it. But essentially, watching them evolve into those people is what keeps me going. So that becomes the catalyst. And as my own personal growth is, that's my top priority. I can always grow. And as long as I keep these tools. And I think part of the catalyst for me also was I wanted to make sure that I never felt stuck. Because if yeah. worst comes to worst, I can apply it to myself. I'm not relying on somebody right, so. else. I'm never going to be completely stuck. Which is key for sure. Yeah. Which of these modalities, aside from kinesiology, because that's what you started with to help your healing process, did you begin when you started your journey into educating yourself further? And why did you pick that particular one to start with? So I started with the kinesiology because I knew it the best when I was training. Yeah. And then okay. the next one I chose would be the EFT. And the reason I chose it was I had... Well, actually, the reason I chose it was I wanted to hang out with the instructor. <laughs> <laughs> so a cousin of mine who, has been, who was my best friend for 20 years, she had done EFT and I watched okay. the impact it had on her. So I was interested in it. And then an opportunity came up. I had a friend who I had lots of different holistic friends. They're all in different holistic therapies. And she was an EFT practitioner, this woman, Kelly. And she was also a bit of a recluse for various reasons. So if you wanted to hang out with Kelly, you had to 
go to one of her classes. So I was like, okay, I'll hang out with Kelly for three days and I'll just pay her for the EFT while I'm there. And what I noticed during the course was brilliant. But what I'd noticed in the conversations with my cousin was that we would meet on a, we'd talk on a Saturday night and because she's in Australia. Uh So we pick a Saturday evening and we talk. And the conversation yeah. would go something like this. How was your week? And I would prattle on about my week on Monday. I did this, Tuesday, this. That was a major theme, whatever. Yeah. And then I say to her, how was your week? And she go, and bearing in mind, this is Saturday night, Sunday morning for her. Yeah. I can only think as far back as Thursday, but I'll tell you what's going on now. And I used to think to myself, <laughs> am I not a good enough friend? Does she not trust me? What's going on? But, you know, I want to be her friend, so that's fine. And then I, I did the EFT course and I did about three weeks of tapping on a regular basis after the course for myself. And mm-hmm. we got to our weekend call and she said, so how's your week been? And I went, well, I can only think as far back as Thursday. Oh, <laughs> no, this is what that does. Wow. So for me, that was the one that then became, because it was mobile, you could teach it really quickly. You could use uh-huh. it very agilely. I mean, I have been known as that crazy woman on the bus who's tapping. <laughs> I don't care what the neighbors think, but I know I'll feel better when I get to the other end of the bus journey. So that's all that matters. Exactly. I love it. So I liked that one because of the fact it didn't take much to teach. It was very versatile right. beautiful, and yeah. so profound. You could literally feel that when you're looking for the old story, it's just not yeah. there. Yeah. You can't find it. Love it. Now, you speak a fair bit about Lilith and how it's your mission to reach as many people as you can and teach them to build a relationship with Lilith and her guidance to learn to embrace their own inner power. Can you share a little bit about who Lilith is? How long have I got? <laughs> Keep it brief. Keep okay. it brief, Emily. So the 25 <laughs> words, joking aside, the 25 words or less version of Lilith is that she was historically and biblically, she is Adam's first wife. Okay. So for people who know the Adam and Eve story, before Adam and Eve, there was Adam and Lilith. So what you have okay. is that Lilith was made out of the same mud, the same clay as Adam. So there's the idea is that they're equal from the start. And then there was how were they going to procreate? And there was this whole whether or not they have equality in that or whether he is always taking the dominant position. And again, it was like, well, if we're made of the same mud, then we can at least mix things up a little, which didn't yeah. go down very well. And then <laughs> the audacity to uh, use an opinion and express an opinion about this fact and so what happens is then Lilith is written out and depending on which version you read, she either leaves or is exiled from Eden, but she leaves and goes okay. on her own journeys. And then what you find in the Bible is that there are, and I've only re- I've read this when I researched her, but I actually went and found a Bible about six weeks ago and found it was true, which is that there are two stories of creation, you know, as in on day mm-hmm. one, God created this, day two, God created that. And then you suddenly go into Adam and Eve. So why do you need these two versions of creation if there wasn't two original stories? Because there isn't one, and then there's the Adam and Eve story in chapter three. There's these two stories, and then one of them just disappears because Lilith has been pulled out. Very interesting. I did not know that. There you go. So I I knew it from the research, but when I physically saw it in front of me, I was like, oh, there's that first version. Wow. Yeah. And so That's wild. Yeah. And so what happens is her story, once she leaves, you see all kinds of, she gets all kinds of demonized and she's a terrible person and she's like a child killing succubus and all this. Because what do you do with a woman who wants to claim her own power? You have to demonize her. You have to discredit her. So that's the easy version of the story. So after that, I'm just like, okay, well, if what she's really about is this equality in the space and this using of your own voice. And she tends to look after things. The things that she brings us to is when we are ready to step into our power. She's the guide that takes you on that journey. So as you stand on a crossroads, 
What's yeah. a powerful choice? And to be clear, it's powerful, not power over. Right. She wasn't looking for power over Adam. So it's not a reverse patriarchy either. Yeah. Equality in the space. She's just looking to step into her own power and own it. Exactly. So when you have that, you don't have the reverse patriarchy. You don't have power over in either direction. Which is important. Indeed. So as you kind of meditate or you tune into her energy, in this moment, what's the powerful choice? What's the one that leads you to stepping into your power, but also stepping into some variation of unconditional love? What's the powerful choice? And then you take that choice. She will say that's the one that's the right one. And she guards that crossroads. The other thing she looks after is the sacred prostitute. Where do we look at? I would make this choice, but my survival is on the line. I have a job that doesn't agree with my morals, but the money's good. Yeah. I'm with somebody who I don't love anymore, but I was stuck with the mortgage. Or financially, I'd be ruined if I left. So mm. we're putting our own, stepping into our own power, and we're putting our own possibility on hold for f security. That's the sacred prostitute. And she guides you through that journey. Wow. Because the ultimate that journey is of it is that you are your soul is not for sale. Yeah. So how did you come to discover Lilith? And how do you incorporate this into your business to help your clients? So how I discovered her originally was by accident because I didn't know that's what I was looking at. So okay. what I found was I was watching a television show. This television show, it was big in the UK. It was BBC's version of Sherlock. So right. they'd updated the Sherlock. And if you've seen it from other parts of the world it is the version that has benedict cumberbatch in it to be clear i'm not a cumberbatch fan what happened was the writer was a guy called stephen moffat if stephen moffat showed up to open an envelope i would be there <laughs> because everything this man writes is gold and he wrote several episodes of doctor who he was a he was amazing so what he did in fact he was a showrunner at one point so he wrote it so i watched it but what they did with it was there's a story in the original books where Sherlock is outdone by a character. There's one where he doesn't solve the mystery. He doesn't get it solved. And what he does is it's by this woman called Irene Adler. And this woman in the original books is an opera singer and she outwits him. And he has such respect for the fact that she managed to outwit him that he refers to her as the woman. Okay. And it's a salute. It's the woman, the one of a kind. As far as he is concerned, she eclipses her sex. She is just right. incredible. That's fine. So that's the book version. In the television show version, when they upgraded it and they updated it to modern day and people are running around with iPhones and things, what ended up happening was she was a dominatrix and she walks into the first scene. And to be clear, she's not a victim of the sex trade. Her clients are royalty. She walks in wearing nothing but diamond earrings and Louis Vuitton shoes. And I was like, wow, what is this? What have I just, <laughs> and her shoulders are back and her head's high and she's holding the space. I yeah. love this. What is this? What am I watching? And the interaction with the characters and the men knew what they were looking at. They didn't know it, but they respected it instantly. It was magnetic. You've seen it when somebody walks into a room and everybody's head's turn. Yeah, for sure. And I was fascinated by her and how they interacted with each other because what they also did was they kept, there were these three main players and then there was everybody else in the episode, obviously watching it aghast, watching, you know, you needed the observer to see the power of this work. And what you watched was the way that they acknowledged how well she did it. And so as they get to the end of the episode, actually what they do is they have Sherlock's cleverer and older brother turn to her and say, because what she's done is she's blackmailed the country. The gist of the story is she's okay. blackmailed the country. And they're realising that they can't win. You know, she's going to win. And he turns to her and he says, the dominatrix who brought a nation to its knees. Nicely played. 
And it was him acknowledging just how well she had done it. He wasn't trying to downplay her. He wasn't trying to get her to be a victim of circumstance. It was just, you know what? You played as well as we did. You deserve to win. Congratulations. Exactly. And I loved the way that just, they played off each other so well all the way through to the end. And so I was fascinated by her. And at the time, all I had as a resource was that episode. So I binge watched it like nine times in 10 days. I was like, watch it again, watch it again, watch it again. In fact, I think it was 10 times in nine days. I was like, watch it again, watch it again. (laughs) And then I eventually found out it was Lilith. So now I was like, right, I need to find out about her. I need to find out what she does. And then it just became a case of how do I invite people? And it's not just women, because it's also the men who love those women. So my first ever session with anyone, because their homework is to go and watch that episode. And then I say, right, now that you've seen her, who is she to you? And every woman's presentation is slightly different. She will wear something different. She will be dressed in a different way. She'll have a different perfume. She'll stand differently. So my friend, the smell that she has, the smell that reminds her of the woman is Chanel number no. five. Right. For me, it's Coco Mademoiselle because my grandmother wore Chanel number no. five. So as fabulous as the smell is, it smells like grandma, yeah. which is an odd position to be in. Like your grandmother was so cool, she wore Chanel number no. five. <laughs> yeah. But what can I do? So yeah. it's what's the scent? What's the, what, what's the fabric that you wear? How does she present herself? And then the work I do in all of its different outfits is how do you close the gap between who you are today and the woman, your version of her? How do we close that gap? How do you step more into her possibility? Brilliant. Yes. I love it. It's very unique. Absolutely. And what then comes off that is what happens to the men who love those women? Because the men also transform around them. Can they cope with it? Yeah. Do they love the fact that she stepped into her power? And, you know, the other side of that becomes that this is how amazing she is. And I'm the only person who gets to see her intimately. I'm the only person who gets to be her lover. So suddenly the men rise to meet her because like Mm -hmm. the two in the episode, they understood what they were looking at. Love Mm. it. That is powerful. Mm. (laughs) That's one word for it. Yeah. 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 So is your business then solely or primarily focused on working with women? Yes, predominantly what it is, is it's the women that come to me. I'm not anti-working with men because coaching does have this thing. It's a big thing for women and men are like, how do I make the transition? You know, the holistic world has made a space for women that it hasn't made for men yet. But actually, I think that is its downside. So who are the men that show up in these women's lives as they step into their power? Because I've seen it and I've also spoken to other people in the intimacy a relationship arena and what happens is either the man that you were with or and to be clear it's not just men it's the lover that you were with when you start a relationship you start it on a basis on a set of deal a set of a contract you kind of say you know this is the kind of relationship we want this is who we are this is how we're matched so as one of you steps into your power and makes a shift will they or won't they come with you and if yeah. they will then those are the men that turn around or those are the lovers that turn around and go, oh my God, where have you been all my life? She's amazing. And I remember I had a similar experience where I was told by somebody, I would follow her for the rest of my life. That version of you, I would follow her for the rest of my life. Hmm. And there are those who look at it and go, you're not the person I married, I'm out. Or you're not the person I agreed to be with, I'm out. Which is why that woman like 15 minutes ago, I was telling about wouldn't go home and have the conversation because she was frightened he'd say no. Yes, exactly. So it so, starts out as women, but actually it doesn't. It becomes the men as well. Yeah, because they're they're part and parcel of it. They they either rise to it or not. They move on. 
sorry, I can't deal with this. This isn't who, who I met. This isn't who I first fell in love with or whatever. And they can't handle the change. Exactly. So what type of person or client is your ideal client? Like what things do you look for in a potential client before deciding to work with them? I don't know. And what I mean by that is the universe has a much, much clearer or Lilith has a much, much clearer idea of my ideal client than I do. So what I can tell you is, and I'll explain how I, why I say that. The people that come to me are the people who have already done a bit of work themselves. They've already been to see other practitioners for whatever reason at different points in their life. Because the work we do is quite deep. And as a consequence, if you haven't got any grounding in this, you would think I was mad. But what I find with the women I work with is as we do this work, they can lean on the fact that once upon a time they've done something similar so they know they can make it they know they can get through whereas if you're starting from the ground if you're literally i've just found out about reiki or i've just found out about then it's going to be a steep curve it's not impossible but it'd be a steep curve so it tends to be people who have already been on their journey for a bit and when i say that i also mean that they might be ready for that massive jump because what happens is lilith comes in when you're ready to step into your power so that doesn't mean you can't step into your power at 17 but the woman you are at 17 and the woman you are at 30 is a different woman so how you step into that makes a difference so that tends to be the case and then what i was going to describe is what tends to happen when i talk to someone so i phoned my business partner and i said do you recognize this conversation and i described this client and she went oh my god that sounds like me you know a year ago or whenever before i started working with you and what they tend to have in common is this they have usually either just starting their business or the version of their business that they are looking to bring into the world needs a reboot it needs a complete reshape so they're starting from the ground in that sense even if they've been doing holistic therapies for thousands of years they're changing shape also they've got into a rut in their relationship now what the manifestation of that rut can include their intimacy but it's not exclusive to that so it's those ones where you realize you're picking up his socks all the time or you've got into a habit and you're more like housemates than lovers you've gone through a bit of a lull that doesn't mean that you're not being intimate but it just means that the balance is off maybe they've forgotten how to communicate they haven't been on date night for a while that kind of stuff kids have got in the way because it happens you know life gets in the way like that but ultimately they're ready for something but they don't know what they're ready for and this is where Lilith comes in and goes right you're ready to step into your power you're on that crossroads now go find it And what I then found, which I did not plan on and is not in my marketing, Hmm. is they tend to be twin flames. They tend to have just met their twin flame, which I would not. If you'd asked me five years ago, I'd have gone, what the hell? No, it's not my thing. But that's who I find. That's who finds me. And it's deliberately not in my marketing because the leveling up and the equality required on this journey means that they find me. They recognize it in the marketing, even though I don't mention it. And they are naturally leveling up either their existing relationship or in the leveling up, they step into a new space. Uh And what twin flame relationships have in common is that the person in that person's life, the makeup forces them to level up. So I don't plan it, but that's who finds me. (laughs) All right. Well said. (laughs) Now, you've dedicated yourself to the be, do, have paradigm. Can you speak to us a little bit about that paradigm and how this shift in mindset around this has helped you? And also benefited your clients. Okay. So have you ever seen The Matrix? Yes. So you know that scene where they are plugging in all of the different programs into Neo's head so that he can then like, oh, I know jujitsu or I know kung fu. And he's like, okay, show me. Yeah. Okay. So he's literally had all these programs wired into his brain. Now he has that skill. 
So the reason I'm saying that as the precursor is that's the visual I want you to have. Okay. You have a subconscious self-image of who you are. You know who you are as a father. You know who you are as a husband. You know who you are as a podcast host. You know who you are as a coach. And each of these versions of Brad have a different idea of whether you think you're any good at it. Right. You know, you might think you're a better husband than you are a father, or you might think you're a better podcast host than you are a coach, whatever. But you have this concept of who you know yourself to be. And that's known as your subconscious self-image. That's who you are being in the world, in that area. So because of that is what runs the show. So then what happens is what you do needs to match who you are being. If there's a gap between who you are being and your subconscious self-image and who you and the activities you undertake, you go mad. That's the short version. If you left it with a gap, it creates a thing called cognitive dissonance and you can't cope with a gap and your brain has to close it. And it's got two choices. You either change your belief, change your subconscious self-image using the different tools that I offer or mm -hmm. give up the habit. So in the case of the client I told you about earlier, she gave up coming to see me and gave up art because yeah. letting go of the doing was easier than changing the being. Whereas if you change who you be, it has a natural cascade so that now because this is who I know myself to be. So if you want to take up a new habit, change who you be around that habit first. And then you'll naturally find yourself eating differently, going to the gym, learning French, whatever it is, right? Yeah. And therefore the life that you have is completely transformed. So it's be, do, have. And the world teaches you that if I have money, then I'll be able to do this, then I'll be able to be happy. Have, mm -hmm. do, be. Yeah. And that's a victim version because unless I have this thing, kind of stuffed. Can't get started until I have this thing. Yeah. Right, well, who do you need to be in order to have it? And then we'll change that will naturally occur. So it's just reversed. It's reversed. And the other version is the worker version, which is if I do this, then I can have this. So if I, if I exactly. So if I do the work, I'll have the promotion. Therefore, I'll be available for my kids. Mm -hmm. Okay. But now you're flogging yourself. You always right. have to do, 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 do. So change who you be. It will change what you do because the gap has to be closed and therefore you can have whatever you want. So when I work with a client and I'm talking around the woman, I'm like, well, sometimes it's, who do you need to be in order to be the woman? If you want to earn this kind of money or you want to have that kind of relationship or you want to be this kind of woman, who do you need to be in order to be that? And then we work on that. We use the EFT. We use the hypnosis. We use the epigenetics work and we transform who you be subconsciously. And the rest just follows. I love that because it reminds me, it's very, it echoes what a friend of mine always says too, part of it anyways. She always says, we are human beings, not human doings. Exactly. Remember that. Mm -hmm. So that leads right into that last piece, the have. So if you be, then you can do, and then you will have. Yeah. I love it. I think that's awesome. And so when you come back to that image of the matrix, what they were doing was plugging mm -hmm. in who he was being. Yes. So... So he could do, and then he could have. Exactly. Love it. Love it. That's awesome. That's so brilliant. So you believe very strongly that what you focus on is what you create in the world. Yes. I would imagine that took quite a bit of inner work to get to that point, though, and shift your mindset in that way. That's, that's a lot of inner work. How long did it take you to arrive at this conclusion, and what led to this discovery for you? How long did it take? Oh, God. Just a ballpark. Well, I turned up for my first kinesiology session in 2001. And in those days, I was very much, you know, just keep surviving as long as I can, you know, not have a panic attack that'll do me. But I, I right. sort of woke up around about 19 and then had this experience, had the first kinesiology at 21. But the conversation I've just explained to you, where I had the similar 
conversation with somebody about be, do, have and how they've been explaining it to me for a while and I'd understand it in principle and then I'd go back to doing, you know, have, do, be, do, be, have, do, have, be and get stuck in my stuff. And I remember the day I saw it like, oh, I literally just go home and plug some stuff in. And I think that was maybe about a year before lockdown. So no, about the last four years, three, four years. I got it, like deeply got it. And I remember going home to my hypnotherapist that I was already still seeing. I'd gone to her with the idea of cleaning out the old. And I went to her and I said, all we've got to do is plug some new stuff in. And I'm laughing. Okay, let's let's get going. (laughs) Who do I want to be? (laughs) Let's plug it in. Exactly. (laughs) And yeah. And it hasn't always been pretty because once you declare something and you plug it, you start plugging it in, the 27,000 reasons why that's not possible will surface. But that's okay because that's why you're on the program. That's why I've got you. We hold you through that. And you do have this wobble about halfway through because who you choose to be and who you used to be, the who you used to be doesn't stand up enough now. So the who you once were doesn't exist anymore, but the who you want to be isn't solid yet. And you wobble about halfway and you do need to be held and go, look, it's fine. You've got this far. You didn't come this far to only come this far. So hang on. I got you. And I'll let's we'll go. Keep, you're we can do this. closer to the end now. Let's keep going. I love it. I think that's amazing. That is so inspiring. I absolutely love it. I do. This is amazing. This this is so intriguing. And I mean, I've heard of bits and pieces. Like I said, my friend was always telling me you're a human being, not a human doing, and little bits and pieces here and there. But seeing it all put together and seeing how that all works, I mean, it, it's a lot of work. And that's I think that's a big part of the problem as you illustrated speaking about your past client who just would rather not have the conversation who didn't maybe part of it was she didn't want to do the work either and i think that's a big piece of this puzzle is that a lot of people don't want to go within and look inside and because they're scared of what they'll see they don't want to do the work because it's just too much it's too it's too much to to change and again, we're, we're humans and we get comfortable. We get stuck in these zones where it's just, it's just easier to just be comfortable than to shift and change. Well, yes and no. Because okay. on the surface, yeah, you're right. But you know what? Do you love the life you have? And I often use this with my clients. And now my business partner spouts it back at me. It's lovely when you get quoted back at yourself. But <laughs> at different points, she asks me the question, you know, you're going to do something with that. Or is this as far as you go? Because we know how this ends, right? So this is as far as I go. Well, I'm not willing to stay where I am. It's not who I want to be. So yeah, you could, but otherwise this is as far as Mm -hmm. you go. And I've had people, you know, who do the first 12 weeks with me and go, yeah, that's fine. I'm cool now. Like, great. That's what you want. You've got what you came for. And I've got people who keep keeping on. Keep pushing. But you know, those crossroads that Lilith presents you with is like, what would you say now? Here's your next crossroads. Yeah. And I find the crossroads, if you keep moving, the crossroads show up about once every six weeks. Would mm-hmm. you keep saying yes? Do you keep saying yes? Do you keep saying? And it becomes a compound yes. And I've also seen yeah. it, funnily enough, where people start to say no. And the compound no effect also just strips the whole thing down very, very quickly. But equally, there is a third option I offer my clients, which is you can say yes, but I'm terrified. Or I want to say yes, but it scares me. Is not the same as a no. The universe no, doesn't absolutely. hear it the same. Yeah. So you've been delving a little deeper into transforming DNA memories, epigenetics, and I know that's one of the modalities you're trained in. Can you speak a little bit about that and the role that that plays in your work and in your life? Yeah, happily. So epigenetics, so genetics is the idea of brown hair, blue eyes, right? Epigenetics is the decisions that are made that stay in your DNA. 
So the emotional component of that. So what happens is five generations ago, an ancestor of mine makes a choice that comes down my DNA and I am living my ancestor's choice. So a small example of that is there's a whole backstory to this. But this woman had a choice about she was in she was in a love affair. This ancestor, she's five generations back, was in a love affair and he was going to ask permission to marry. So he goes to the father, asks permission. Father doesn't want any of it because he wants a skivvy around the house. And as a result of him not arriving to take her away, her whole life falls apart, which is a whole other interview. But essentially, what then happens as part of her coping strategy is she puts on weight. She doesn't know what else to control in her life, so she eats. Doesn't know how else to bury her pain, so she eats. Which is fine in itself. Now my family, my dad is one of ten children. And what happens is they all are a certain weight until they hit about 18, 19. They're just about to go out into the world, just as this woman was just about to go out into the world. And out of nowhere, they all go from skinny little people in size 10 jeans and they all balloon. I've seen it in my aunts. I've seen it in my grandmother. I've seen it in my cousins. They all just one minute, they're fine. And the next minute you see them at the next year's barbecue and they've just gone. That hide your pain under your food or we need to expand we need to get bigger protection uh-huh. piece is activated the moment they leave college and go into the world the second they head to university they start they start getting bigger wow and they have no control over it in principle so what you then do is if you use this epigenetic tool and it's kind of like a hypnotherapy script kind of like a meditation script but what it does is it invites you to go back and meet with an ancestor who has an insight for you and the woman who I originally trained with this, I, I need to give her a, a, a sound check here, is a lady called Sylvia Marina. And she pioneered this work called Transforming DNA Memories. And what you do is you go back in and you meet with the ancestor who gives you some insight into what happened and why they made the choices they made. And then you release that piece from your DNA. Now you don't have to make that choice. You are free of that choice. So when you're talking about right. be, do, have and the hard work that's involved, yes. But you know what? Sometimes it's harder when you don't have the right tools. And what happens when you yeah, when sure. you pick the right tools, you're now not chipping away at the shallow end of the pool if this is an ancestrally inherited pattern. Equally, it releases all sorts of ripples on the way back. So, for example, my father now behaves differently because of the work I've done, because it rippled back. You know, you let go of all sorts of, you know, inherited trauma, all sorts of things suddenly dissipate. You do have a few fights with your family on the way as the DNA. <laughs> you know, if you keep going, the yeah. ripples. And I've also seen it go forwards. So if you ever wonder what can I do that would change my children's life, the epigenetics will go forward and will give them a better opportunity too. Hmm. Very interesting. This is all wild. I love it. This is great stuff. So when I'm doing it, when I'm thinking about Lilith, it's okay. So if we're taking away your be, do, have, if we're transforming your be, do, have so that you're more like her or you're more like your version of her, where are the inherited patterns? And also there is within the epigenetics, there is where in a past life have you lived that? And can you release that too? So you're letting go of persecution complex. You're letting go of witch wound. And what I've found, and it's only recently found, is that what happens is there is a version of you that is capable of your highest potential. Usually a version of you that is once upon a time, once upon a life, right? Uh And then like Lilith and like the woman, she becomes the guide. She or he becomes the best version of you. And it becomes that they guide you through who you could be. They help you make those choices. That's incredible. So I want to speak a little bit about your podcast now, as mentioned, among all these other things that you are and do, you're a podcast host. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast, the title, subject matter? Is it interview style? Is it solo? Is it a mix of both? Well, it's evolving quite a bit. So the podcast is called Lilith Speaks because she didn't have a voice. 
Right. So initially I did eight or nine episodes and I went, all right, here's me, here's Lily, here's what I do. And after a while, once I'd done what I've done on this, which is explain the BD you have and how it works and that there'll be a wobble halfway up the hill. I was like, what the hell what am I going to talk about now? Because <laughs> the Emily show is kind of boring, like every week. <laughs> One thing being interviewed once here, but every time. So every week, no. So I sort of sat on it for a bit. And what came out of it was Lilith was like, give other women the platform, give other people the platform. This is the place where those voices have been lost and they need to be out in the world. So I recently opened it up to interview style. I okay. suspect long term it will become a mix. I need to allow the original influx of people to have their say and then work out how they get scheduled. But ultimately it becomes a platform for intimacy experts, relationship experts. It's also rapidly becoming this idea of extending the platform becomes like multi-author books. What's the stories that traditional publishing won't publish? Because if they were going to, they'd have done it by now. What are the forgotten yeah. writings that need to be out in the world? So these these practitioners are stepping forward and saying, not only do I want to have an interview or an episode or a couple of episodes, but I'd like to write a chapter or I'd like to write my book. Will you put it out in the world? So Lilith Speaks is about to have a publishing arm. I love it. That's awesome. Congratulations. Emily, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? My immediate reaction to that word is perseverance. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my friend said my superpower is the ability to see a client journey from A to B, as in I can see them at where they start and I can see where they need to end. And the ability to put all those pieces in the right order. I seem to be able to do it in a very, very short time where they're sitting there going, I have this program and I have no idea what to do. But I'm like, oh, it's that order. That's the order it works in. Go. But for myself, I think it's a perseverance because my argument is if you do enough of the work with the B2, have, it has to transform. And what a lot of people do is they get halfway and then they stop or they're not sure if it's even worth starting. So I've just kept going because that's okay. how it works. So, yeah, I think that's, that yeah. has helped me because you just and the idea that you can always change who you be. Right. If you mm -hmm. know that Absolutely. you can plug something new in, you're not fixed with anything. I love that matrix analogy. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. It gives a nice visual for people, right? It's like, it does. Yeah, really absolutely. Simple. Yeah, absolutely. Straightforward. It's, it's right there. This is it. This is exactly what I'm doing. This is the work I'm doing. We're plugging these things in so you can do and have. Yeah. How do you define success? What does that word mean to you, Emily? Oh, what does success mean to me? I'm just tuning into that feeling in my body. When I feel successful, I feel abundant. I feel like I can breathe. I feel like my shoulders are back. My head is up. So that's what my posture does. I actually feel quite sexy. There's a kind of like you're tapping into the woman. That's success. Uh -huh. So it also means that I can choose who I work with. I, in that episode I was telling you about with the Sherlock episode back earlier yeah. on, there's a scene in it where they're trying to show that time has passed between season one and season two. And the way they show it is they have an influx of clients coming in the door. So you just see these melee of people walking and going. And he, what he does, he listens to their why they want his help. And he gets to decide who he works with. And he goes, leave, boring, yes, right. And he gets to just pick and choose because he has this influx. So it's that freedom to have the influx of who I want to work with and the things that light me up and the things that excite me and the clients that are willing to keep saying yes. I was nothing more inspiring than watching that process in other people. And if I get to do that yeah. all day, why wouldn't you? And then people ring me up and they're like, oh my God, like this intimacy thing that was completely shut down for me as a possibility, it suddenly opened up again, you know, and that thing I haven't yeah. been able to do since I was 15, I can suddenly do that. Or, you know, we've had this kind of sacred sexuality experience and you're like, that's what it's all about, watching that process. So for me, it's the success for them 
but also for myself is the freedom and choice to build the life I want. So be, do, have whoever I choose. Beautifully said. Okay, Neo. (laughs) But yeah. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it? I'm sorry to sound like a one-trick pony here, but be, do, have. And what was my life like before it? It was just, oh, I was stuck. I was stuck. I was frustrated. I was angry. Everybody else's fault, like everybody else's fault for stuff. I was controlling. And what's it been like afterwards? It doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of the people that I was angry at. (laughs) You know what I mean? They look at it and go, really? But I look at it now and I think, well, if that thing's come up for me or that thing's affected me and i don't like the word triggered you know people talk about other oh, someone's triggered yeah. me. i actually use the word activated what are they activated in me that i now need to do something mm-hmm. with but what i do with that is i then who have i become after that it's like what's this showing me that i need to do something with and sometimes that stuff is okay and sometimes that stuff is quite ugly and manky and i go oh don't like that side yeah. of myself but you know what i don't have to stay that way yeah. so you know and i remember in the last year i got a lot of my relationship frameworks got thrown up and i kind of mm-hmm. went Oh, I don't like who I'm being there. That's not pretty. Okay, go back to the beginning. Who do I want to be? But yeah, so what it becomes is you always have that choice. You can always make a different choice on the crossroads every day. So that's who I became after learning it. What is the most recent investment you've made in yourself? Oh, most recent investment I've made in myself is I signed up for courses. It's not recent, recent, as in like the last couple of weeks, but the most profound recent investment I made was signing up for courses with Melanie Ann Leia. And the way that she's a coach herself and the way that she does her coaching and the concepts that she brings about, she's a big be, do, have advocate, among other things. But her stuff has been life transforming, absolutely life transforming. I feel like I spend a day listening to her courses and then I could spend six months be, do, having it. You know, it's like there's enough catalyst there. Yeah. Beautiful. So investing in her as my coach has been my best investment. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? When are you going to ask me that? (laughs) (laughs) The person who has had the biggest impact in my life and why is the person I have known the longest. And the reason they have had the biggest impact in my life is because they ultimately presented to me the best version of myself. They invited me through our connection, through our friendship to be the best version of myself and what an invitation it has been to keep becoming that woman. And therefore they've had the biggest impact, you know, as much as I have known them, as long as I've known them, that impact has been a catalyst for my growth. And they are the person who has inspired my growth the most, my oldest friend. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions, let's just be two, three, four word answer type. thing. (laughs) You got this, Emily. I know you can do it. How would you describe yourself in one word? Loyal. What's the first thing you notice about a person? Their eyes. What was your dream job as a child? I didn't have a dream job as a child. My first job I wanted was a psychologist. Money or fame? Can't I have both? Nope. One. You got to choose one. Ooh, money. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it we be? We do have. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Love. What is one of your favorite words? Bespoke. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) What is your why, Emily? What is my why? Mm -hmm. Why do I do what I do? Yeah. Because the ability to watch people reach their potential is the most important thing. In my mind, that's the most important thing there is. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, 
Who would it be and why? Does she have to be real? No. Then Irene Adler, the woman. Okay. The woman. Yeah. Okay. If I had to choose a person, person, it would be Judy Dench. Okay. And why would you choose Judy Dench? Because she's amazing. She's, <laughs> she's just incredible. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you want to talk to Judy Dench and find out what about her? She's amazing. She's the only reason I went All to right. see Skyfall. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Say yes. Plain and simple. Say yes. That's say it. yes more often. Say yes earlier. Say yes sooner. I had someone tell me they were talking about this whole concept of saying yes. And she said, try saying yes to every opportunity that comes your way for a week and see the change in you, in your life by saying yes to things that come your way. Of course, being mindful of the situations you can get yourself into. We're talking about just opportunities that come your way. Like you get invited to a party, just say yes. Don't think about it. Just say yes and go. Or you get invited to a concert, just say yes and, and go. Or you're, you, you know, just say yes to some things. Take, do it for a whole week and see what that does for you. How did it go? How was the week? Oh, she said it was awesome. Yeah. She said it was awesome. It was life transformational. I can bet it was, yeah. There are versions, the younger version of myself would have made the, the hesitant choice. Now I'd make the brave choice and say yes. So if I could go back yeah. and tell her, I'd say, make sure you say yes to them. What does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it, Emily? She's a bit leaner than me. <laughs> <laughs> she is wearing vintage clothes. She has, In fact, I own the coat. It's a long sheepskin coat from the 70s. Huh? She's got bell-bottom trousers. Uh, bell-bottom jeans she has mm -hmm. she's got a shirt that's kind of kind of ruffly mm -hmm. and she's wearing red heeled shoes and she's also wearing a fedora and she fucking loves how she looks <laughs> <laughs> there you go that's the important piece right there lastly emily if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world your your corner of the world your tribe your people what would that last 30 seconds sound like what would you say or what words of wisdom would you impart is this the 30 seconds at the end of a speech or it's a 30 second clip? It's whatever you want it to be. I would say it's never too late to become who you might have been. And today you can still say yes. Today you can make that choice. So what's the choice you would make today that gives you the power that you need, that steps you into your power and steps you into your possibility and guide them to Beautiful. make that choice? Excellent. Emily, thank you so much for being here today. I have absolutely and thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Wow. Like I'm, I'm just blown away by some of this stuff and it's, I'm walking away having learned quite a bit and thank you for making the time to be here today and share all of this with me and for educating me. I appreciate you. And I am so grateful that our paths crossed and to be able to call you a friend and to have you as a member of the Empowerography community you are a true inspiration and just keep shining your bright, beautiful light onto the world and doing the amazing work that you're doing for people. I appreciate you. Thank you. I love you too, Brad. It's been a pleasure to be here. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast today. My guest has been Emily Tuck. She is a relationship and intimacy coach, a podcast host, and an international number one bestselling author. Thank you so much, Emily. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast if you haven't yet please be sure to subscribe rate review and share with all your friends you can find me at visuphoria.ca follow me on instagram at empowerography podcast and on facebook at empowerography please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman